Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From high above the field at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, inside the warehouse, it's the Mass and All Access podcast. Paul Mancano and Bobby Blanco with you, breaking down all the latest Orioles news as they search for an entirely new front office and, of course, to follow a new manager. Bobby, how you doing? Good. We haven't talked O's in a while, Paul. Good to be back on the O's saddle, so to speak. And, um, you know, there hasn't been much to discuss yeah. a couple names floating around here and there but nothing really firm or, or confirmed so yeah i mean it's going to be back talking about the orioles but you know how much do we actually have to talk about there it was pretty quiet on the western front for quite a while yep yesterday some stuff did start to trickle out some reports we'll get break down all that what are the names being floated around? What could that look like? What could a potential Orioles front office built around these names look like? We're breaking it all down on the Mass and All Access podcast. Yesterday, Bobby Rockabaco came in studio and basically said, you know, I have a non-update update, right. basically. That was the title of his morning blog this morning, it too. Was. We're recording on Wednesday afternoon. It was another Orioles non-update. Yeah, so it has been very quiet But we did hear some names coming from a report from John Heyman, a tweet, uh, naming some people. First and foremost, Ned Colletti. I think that's the biggest name to look at. As Rock mentioned on the show and in his piece, their Orioles are right now looking at a president of baseball operations to oversee everything, who then in turn looks to hire a general manager, who then in turn works with the president of baseball operations to hire a baseball manager on the field. All of this coming from outside the organization. Yes. It's a lot of steps, Paul, because at first we thought, okay, we just need a new GM, a new manager. Now yeah. we're adding this president of baseball operations position yeah. that also has to be filled. It's not coming from inside hires, so no Brady Anderson, no Mike yeah. Bordick, none of those names being tossed around a couple of weeks ago as the season came to a close. But, yeah, it's, it's now that it gets tricky because that's adding another thing of – to the yeah. list of things that your to-do list for this offseason for yeah. the Orioles. And that's they're big hires, obviously. Yeah. You know, that those are three very if you're gonna create the president role, three very important positions to fill, and it's gonna determine where you, this rebuild goes and the the future of this organization for years to come and what they're gonna be focusing in, in order to build a winning team. And it makes a lot of sense to structure your team like that. Now we know that I, I don't know, I think being a GM encompasses so much more now than it might have even 20 years ago it's a huge huge responsibility to oversee all levels of the minor leagues the major league club so it makes sense to have that extra person who oversees all that kind of stuff I mean look at former Baltimore Orioles general manager Andy McPhail who's now in Philadelphia having the same title president or vice president of baseball operations he hires the GM in Matt Klintak, who then hires Gabe Kapler as the manager. Right. So all of it flows from the top in and, this kind of system. And also, Paul, the Orioles have made it clear that they're going to be dipping their toes in the international market. So yeah. that expands that even further, not just from the minor league teams and the Orioles organization itself, but now you're looking at prospects from not just the United States, but obviously the Dominican Republic, Cuba, yeah. 
all these Latin American teams, the the they have dipped before in the Korean market or yeah. um, the Asian uh, markets before, but that makes this pool of what this president has to oversee a lot larger. So yes, yeah. that makes more sense to separate those kind of two positions, yeah. president and GM, including Victor Victor Mesa in terms Victor, of. <laughs> Victor. I'm not going to get tired of doing that until yeah. he signs with the Orioles. Let's hope that he does. Although the Marlins are certainly making a push. So anyway, this this name, the first name that came out would be Ned Coletti, 64 years old. In case you didn't know, right now he's an analyst with Sportsnet LA, and it was rumored midseason that the Orioles were interviewing him for a similar position. This is a guy who was the GM of the Dodgers from 2006 to 2014. Dodgers made the playoffs five of those nine seasons that he oversaw them, and they had some pretty high-roll names in terms of Josh Beckett. He had Adrian Gonzalez. He had... A lot of uh, a very expensive payroll, but his teams did pretty well. Never won a World Series, but made it to the NLCS a few times. Never reached the World Series. Never reached the World Series. Uh, but you can also, I think, credit him with some success of the team last year that went to seven games and lost to the Astros. So Ned Coletti, a guy who was the GM of the Dodgers for a long time, might be in consideration from what we've heard for that president of baseball operations. Other names tied to him, he was behind uh, bringing Yasiel Puig to the Dodgers, yeah. uh, signed Zach Greinke, a, a former Cy Young winner, as a free agent. Um, so he's, yes, the money is different. He'll, you know, if he comes to Baltimore, different money situations than in, in L.A., mm-hmm. one of the richest teams in all of baseball. But, you know, he's known to go out and find good talent and yeah. bring them in and build winning clubs. Like we said, never reached a World Series, but his teams were always competitive, constantly winning the NL West, reaching the NLCS multiple times. Um, so, you know, this guy knows how to put together a winning club, and that's what you want when you're looking for these new hires in this rebuild. Right, it is. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that the payroll, because that's going to be an issue. Um, I think that maybe not an issue potentially, but that's something to talk about as uh, – they potentially interview him and look at him for this role because the Dodgers and the Orioles are two very different organizations in terms of the money that they have. Most of those teams that um, he oversaw with the Dodgers had extremely high payrolls, and the year that he ended up being moved out of the GM role and into a smaller role, advisor, special advisor to the president, was year that they had a payroll that was $30 million higher than any other team in Major League Baseball, and they ended up getting bounced by the Cardinals in the NLDS. And I think there was a lot of frustration with his inability to put a team over the top, whether that was on him, whether that was on the players on the field or the manager or whoever it was. His teams were never able to get over the top, and I think that's partly why he was moved out of his role, despite the fact that he had an enormous money at his, uh, amount of money at his disposal every season right and we also saw that led to the eventual um, removal of Don Mattingly as the manager yeah. in, in LA and so th- I mean yes building a winning club but never got over that hump um, you know I'm not saying the Orioles are, obviously you want to compete and go championship is the ultimate goal but the Orioles need to be realistic here and realize you know they're not going to be competitive next year in 2019 right. maybe not even 2020 but build toward the 21-22 kind of seasons and hopefully get back to at least making the playoffs Yeah, and then go from there and have a little more um, loftier goals in terms of reaching World Series. And this guy's done it before. He's yeah. built winning clubs from from scratch. 
and gone into and gone into a place like the Dodgers. He was an assistant GM with the, the San Francisco Giants for a long time. Yeah. Obviously, they've been a cl- they've been a winning club over the past decade. Um, he I don't know how much I don't know for a fact how much of a hand he had in building those teams, right. but he's been around winning clubs. Yeah. So you know, that's a starting point at least for the Orioles in terms of a guy who knows the process. Yeah, he was in place as GM when the Dodgers drafted Clayton Kershaw. That was his first season. Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Jock Peterson, Ross Stripling, Kyle Farmer, and the signings of Puig, as you mentioned, Justin Turner, Pedro Baez, and the trade for Andre Ethier. He also helped orchestrate that massive trade with the Red Sox back in 2012, in which the Dodgers ended up receiving Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, and Josh Beckett. Some pretty I think he <laughs> also brought names. in Hanley Ramirez from the Marlins. He did, yeah. Some pretty big names that he has been a part of. Uh, in his time as GM. One thing I do want to mention, Keith Law on Twitter uh, kind of responded to the report that the Orioles were interested in Ned Coletti and tweeted the following. If the Orioles hire Ned Coletti, who is openly hostile to the use of analytics while GM of the Dodgers to run their club in a division that with three well-run analytics-focused competitors, then 2018 might not actually be their nadir. Pretty damning. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, this is coming from one person. We haven't heard anything from anybody else about Ned Coletti in terms of that. But clearly, Keith is not impressed with Coletti's uh, ability to use and interest in analytics, which is something that... The uh, at least Dan Duquette made clear before he was ousted here that he wanted to do more of when they were making those trades at the deadline. And they were saying that organizationally, they're going to place more of a focus on analytics. Yep. And so this is the question now, Paul, is that <laughs> it's kind of funny watching Rocco Baco join Massimo Alexis yesterday. Feels like almost every question was asked to him was he responded with another question because there's just so many questions and all right where is this team going <laughs> yeah yeah you know where uh, are they actually going to focus because Dan Duquette can say that all he wants that they're going to focus on analytics and, and use those numbers and and sabermetrics and stuff to build clubs but Dan Duquette's not here anymore yeah, yeah. so who yeah. is in charge of making these hires and where do their priorities lie yeah and if it is analytics yeah maybe Cloudy isn't the right guy he is 64 is kind of that older generation yeah. like the Buck Walters maybe even Dan, Dan Duquette's not that old but uh, you know we've seen Dusty Baker kind of that age yeah. of thinking not really trusting the analytics as much so if that's where they want to go, maybe Clay isn't the guy, even though he has proven to build cl- winning clubs and right. making big moves to go get players to improve clubs. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to take almost kind of like a, for this Orioles organization, kind of like an introspective, you know, they really have to f- find themselves. Yeah. What do they want to be? Do they want to be that club that is going to use a lot of young talent, use a lot of the sabermetric numbers that are out now to to play defense? Well, you heard Manny Machado in the playoffs now yeah. mention that his defensive numbers are so much better at shortstop than the Dodgers than they ever were when he was with the Orioles yeah. because they didn't use analytics as much, and the Dodgers use them very well now, and Cleddy's no longer there. So did that start after Cleddy was there in the Dave Roberts era? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's questions that the Orioles are going to have to ask themselves, and, you know, Obviously, if he's a serious con- candidate, they'll bring him in for interviews and figure out where his priorities lie. And if they don't match up, they might have to find someone else. Yeah, so uh, I was curious because it's always so tough to tell exactly which front offices use how much analytics. You know, like you can yeah. tell the obvious ones with like the A's 
and now even the Yankees and the Red Sox and those teams, that kind of stuff is obvious. The Astros with their massive yes, shifts. Yes, exactly. Uh, but other ones, it's like a lot of the clubs in the middle, it's like you're just guessing as yeah. to how much they and they use analytics on a day-to-day basis. I was able to find a quote from last year from a Forbes article, Ned Coletti saying, I w- talking about analytics, I would probably come – out 51% on who is in the uniform on the scouting side to 49% on the analytics side, but you can't work in baseball today without both. Those aren't those that aren't responsive to it as to as much information as possible are at a tremendous disadvantage. So he does acknowledge the role that they play, but Coletti again did come up from a scouting background and does pay attention to the old school baseball uh a little bit more, as he says, 51 to 49 than the analytics. And I would agree with him, honestly. And Paul, we've talked about baseball for a long time now, so you kind of know where I lie on this. Not that I'm going to be interviewed for the vice president's well, job or anything. Know. We never know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, having played the sport for a long time, been a fan of baseball, watching baseball, I trust my eye and can see things and trust what I see out of players who yeah. are actually on the field. Now, I agree that also the more information, the merrier. It's what you do with that information is yeah. what's key. Bring all the statistics to me that you want, and let's see if we can maybe make something useful out of it. But, you know, it doesn't take analytics to tell me that Chris Davis shouldn't be batting third in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just the eye test tells you that. Yeah. So, you know, yes, I like that, though. You know, it's not too far out of the way. It's kind of yeah. 50-50, maybe leaning more towards his quote-unquote eye test. Yeah. So, yeah, use the information, be open to it, but – you know, what you end up doing with that is ultimately going to be fall down to the general manager you hire and also the manager you hire. So it's kind of be step-by-step process here in terms of what they want to do with this stuff. And Coletti wasn't the only name mentioned in that tweet from Heyman. Another name mentioned, somebody who works with Coletti and could be brought in, the idea is reportedly, coming from national reporters, these aren't local guys, this is not MassInSports.com, Rockabaco, who, as we know, is more plugged in than anybody else on the planet to the Orioles. Uh, The report coming out that Kimming, who is 49 years old, she uh, worked with Coletti while with the Dodgers. She was the assistant GM with the Dodgers. The report is that the Orioles could be looking at her if they hire Coletti for the president as the GM. Now, she currently is the senior VP of baseball operations for Major League Baseball. She's been in that role uh, for a while, reports to Joe Torrey, who works in the baseball operations uh, department now. This would certainly be an interesting hire, I think, Bobby, because first and foremost, no woman has ever been hired as the general manager of any team in the four major sports. Yep. That is pretty crazy to think about. And I read that and I thought, it, it shocked me at first, but then I thought, I guess that makes sense. Um, you know, in terms of, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Right. And this is kind of the mold that needs to be broken. Yeah. And one of the glass ceilings that needs to be broken. Uh, She undoubtedly is extremely qualified to be a GM. She's interviewed for other GM jobs in the past. The Padres, Mariners, Angels, Phillies, never gotten that GM job. So we don't know if she's maybe, you know, been offered and has never accepted. But this would certainly be a fascinating hire. It would be. And and earth shattering, groundbreaking. I mean, you know, and. You know, you would hope, I mean, obviously, a woman being in a role like that would be great for yeah. not just baseball, but for all 
sports across yeah. major sports across the world, you know, and in terms of women breaking through that glass ceiling and stuff like that. She's undoubtedly qualified. Uh, Coletti kept her on as an assistant in, in L.A., so she knows she's familiar with the role. She knows what goes into it. She yeah. obviously knows baseball. She wouldn't be, you know, the senior vice president of baseball operations for Major League Baseball if she didn't. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, it actually comes down to, like, you know, does she want to – Take on this rebuild. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. the biggest question. It doesn't matter who comes in to interview for this job. Do you yeah. want to take on this project? Because it is a multi-year project, and it is going to take a while. It's going to be hard. It's going to yeah. be difficult. But you know, the rewards at the end could be could be very fruitful. And um, you know, not only could she be the first female general manager in any major sports team history but she could also be the one that put together a phenomenal rebuild yeah, and yeah. put together a winning club in three or four years yeah which would be pretty spectacular it really would um i think the the job itself is not enticing to some because of the fact that you're starting from the ground up but if you look at somebody who could be a first-time gm i think it could be extremely intriguing because yeah. you get to put your fingerprints all over this roster uh and you basically you know, you have a, no manager in place, so you get to help with the hiring of that. You probably are going to have a lot of say in the hiring of the assistant coaches, you know, the pitching coach, all that kind of stuff. I feel like that could be uh, a intriguing job for somebody, especially looking for their first GM job. Somebody who also, you know, Kimming knows Coletti, and if this were to come as a package deal, she'd probably have a lot of job security, and I think that would help. So this might be a very intriguing job if she gets offered it. Anyone who comes in here is going to have to have job security because, again, yeah. it's a it's a tough rebuild. It's a tough situation. You can't go hire these three positions and give them a short leash. You need to give them time to, like you say, put their fingerprints all over this project, yeah. all over the organization, and do it the way they want to do it and build it from the ground up. You know, and then in four or five years, it still hasn't panned out. Then you might have to start from scratch. But you know, it yeah. can't be a one, two year. Not even I wouldn't say not even a three year yeah. thing. It's yeah. got to be go all in on this. That's why these hires are so important. Yeah, figure out who you want and make sure you get the right person and trust them and stick with them f- through thick and thin. Yeah, exactly. She, by the way, Kim Ng has been somebody who uh, has been viewed at for quite a while as somebody an up-and-coming talent um yeah. and though- that's what like when it comes to paul when it comes to like when you hear about women being mm-hmm. interviewed about this stuff and you hear people who are just a-holes being like well it's just because she's a woman she's getting interviewed well no i mean <laughs> she's been around she deserves yeah. it you know and this is kind of the trend lately in all major league sports we've seen Women referees in the NFL. We've seen assistant coaches on NFL teams. Christy Tolliver just became the first yeah. WNBA player to be hired as an assistant coach for an NBA team. Assistant yeah. coach. He's going to be on the bench with Scott Brooks and player development. I mean, this is a trend. Women are just as capable of yeah. coaching and building up major league teams as anybody else. Oh, they absolutely. know the sport. And um, so she's not being brought in just because she's a woman. She's yeah. being brought in because she's qualified. And she was the assistant general manager, Brian Cashman, once brought her in, uh, she was the AGM with Cashman back in 1998. So somebody who clearly, you know, she got that job, I believe she was 29 years old. So under 30. So that is rare in itself to find anybody who is under 30. Um, and a role that is traditionally not occupied by women. She's clearly very well respected, very liked. And people look, people with good baseball minds 
look to her for her baseball mind on a lot of opinions. Right. And I think another thing in her favor, Paul, is actually her age. She's only 49. Yeah. She's relatively young for an executive. <laughs> yeah. So she could be here for the long haul. It's not going to be like, you know, with Coletti, maybe his last stop or right. something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's going to be, you know, she could come in here and be like, all right, I want to make a career out of this. This is going to be my job for yeah. years to come, you know, for the next 10 plus years, if she does a good job, obviously, yeah. she earns it. That's a good point. So those are some names to watch. Again, those are just coming from a report, report from John Heyman. Obviously, we will hear a lot of names continue to trickle. We'll have three hires, president, GM, and then manager. Uh, so a lot of names yet to come out um, before anything and uh, anybody ends I, up I'm kind of waiting for the floodgates to open as yeah. soon as the World Series is over because, I mean, obviously free agency starts. You know, we'll see a lot of these free agents still on the Orioles yeah. depart. Adam Jones, the major one. Um, but then that's when even the teams that are still playing are those guys, those front office people are going to be available yeah. for interviews. And, exactly. and those names are going to be flown out. So, you know, patience. I mean, yeah. everyone's asking how come they haven't made a move, announced a name yet, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's still people they probably want to look at that they can't yet because their teams are still playing. Yeah, yep. So there's four teams still in it, and obviously they're the best teams in baseball. They probably have good people in their front office yeah. that are deserving of a position like this or somewhere in a, in a front office, a GM or vice president and position. And keep in mind the Orioles aren't alone in that. There are a lot of – there are multiple oh, – right. Yeah, there's plenty of spots open. American there. League teams that have not done anything at yeah. manager since uh, letting go. Bobby, there is something – I'm glad you brought up the playoffs because there is something we have to discuss. Yes, sir. Last night uh, – look, I didn't stay up for the 13 innings between the Dodgers and Brewers. Heck no. Uh, Why is this game starting at 9 o'clock? <laughs> it's on the West Coast, Bobby. Okay, but – the vast majority yeah. of the population lives on the East Coast. I know. I know. Sorry, uh, not here, neither here nor there. Take it up with MLB. But in the 10th inning of that game, Manny Machado made a very controversial play. Have you? I did not go back to go see it. I will pull it up right now. I have talking. not seen it yet? No. Uh, so essentially, he, uh, first off, earlier in the game, almost got tossed after arguing uh, he asked for time. Uh, before a pitch, was not granted it, and uh, whoever was pitching at the time threw a strike right down the middle, struck Machado out. Machado used some choice words for the home plate umpire, was not tossed, kept in the game. Later on in the game, uh, in the 10th inning, he is running to first after a ground out and trips over uh, would be a good word I guess you could use. Jesus Aguilar at first base. Uh, basically, Aguilar's ankle was on the base for a little bit longer than needed to be, and Manny kind of dragged his foot yeah. and clipped him. Uh, I think Aguilar definitely had his foot on there for a little bit too long, but I think the general consensus is, Manny, what are you doing? I'm watching that play right now on the highlight, and I mean... The one, the shot, the slow motion shot down the first baseline. Yeah. That's pretty evident. He's dragging his it's, toe. Yeah. The, oh, the, it's damning. The slow-mo version of you can see him clearly drag. I mean, who does that yeah. running through first base? No, yeah. that's not a how you run to first base. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and unfortunately, this isn't the first time we've seen Manny do anything like this. Obviously, right. we, all, we all remember him throwing a baseball bat down the third baseline at Josh yep. Donaldson. Um, he obviously got it into it with uh, Ventura of the Royals. Um Briefly, yeah. Briefly, meaning that he disposed of him pretty quickly in that brawl. <laughs> um, you know what? You know, it's 
we defended Manny for so long because he was here with the Orioles, yeah. and you know we've seen him outside of the baseball diamond. He's a good guy. He's a fun, loving guy. We yeah. see him have fun with Jonathan Scope all the time. But it's hard to back a guy who does that yeah. on a consistent basis. Yeah, the slide the other night. In game three, yeah. which was clearly, I mean, who sticks their hand out to grab a leg of a yeah. guy who's a yard away from you? So, you know, I mean, and what, the other question is, I mean, this is kind of a thing we would see from Manny when he was frustrated and yep. not playing well. Manny's hitting pretty well yeah, this yeah. postseason, and he's in the NLCS. So right. what does he have to be frustrated about? Yes, it's a routine ground out and, and extra innings of, of, uh, of crucial yeah. uh, game four, but, I mean... Come on, live to play another down, so to speak. You know, don't get your, don't put yourself in a situation where you could be ejected from a big game like that or and suspended. I, and I think a lot of people brushed it aside often because we, as you mentioned, we saw some of this behavior when he was in Baltimore. But I think, especially this season, a lot of people kind of brushed that under the rug because they said it's a losing team. He's frustrated. He's frustrated by what's going on, not just personally, but with the team. He under he wants to get out of there. So, okay, we'll, we'll brush some of this aside. There's no excuse for that now. Um, he's on a winning team. He's with, you know, playing in the NLCS at this point. He can't act like that. Uh, and it comes especially on, on the heels of uh, the I'm not going to be Joe Hustle. That quote coming from the interview with Ken Rosenthal doesn't make you look good at all. No. So you're not going to hustle? Yeah. So what what are you playing? Why are you playing? Right? Yeah, and why are you trying to get why a it, four hundred million dollar contract in right. free agency? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. That's actually a great point, Paul. Who's going to pay him for yeah. this stuff? You know, I mean, he's making himself a liability and a risk going into his free agent years. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, you're a great player, but you know, you you do this stuff to other teams, and yeah. players don't like it. And yeah. you know, you're gonna get suspended or fined or something. You're gonna hurt the team by these antics. And, you know, he's not a young kid anymore. He's yeah. 26. Yeah. He's going to be 27 next July. So, you know, Manny, it's time to grow up, dude. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, you're, you can't be doing this in not only a postseason game, but heading into your free agent year. I mean, you're just, you're hurting yourself, not just, not yeah. only your team, you're hurting yourself. And, you know, well, I think it's kind of selfish. I think of teams specifically, I think of my hometown team, the Philadelphia Phillies, yeah. in a town where hustle and grit are things that get guys forever cemented into Philadelphia sports history. Chase Utley is forever beloved because he is seen as Johnny Hustle. He's the guy who is always running things out. I don't know if a team like the Phillies would want to risk a huge contract, not just monetarily but in terms of years, on a guy that they think could annoy a fan base by not running out ground balls. Yeah. Aside and, from the other dirty play stuff. And we saw even here, I mean, Baltimore is very similar in terms of yeah. the kind of that blue collar. Yeah, yeah. Gritty hustle. And even this year before he got traded, he was caught not hustling out a ground ball. Yeah. And I think Camden Yards booed him for like the first time in his career. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, play the game. Yeah. We're paying you to play. Obviously, you're not going to be here for much longer, but you're on the team right now. You play to win the game. Give us your effort. And, you know, if he can't do that on a consistent basis, he's not only hurting his team, he's hurting himself. It looked especially bad after Christian Yelich said after the game when talking about that play, quote, it's a dirty play by a dirty player. 
Yeah. Which is something, a reputation that is awfully hard to scrub clean once you get that kind of reputation. Yep. Uh, I mean, that means the the spotlight will always be on you and not for a good, not in a good way, Paul. Exactly. So (laughs) just the timing of it is so ridiculous. Why are you waiting until a week or two until you're a free agent? Yeah. To do all this stuff. Just play hard through yeah. the playoffs. And that my again, back to my question, what's frustrating you? Yeah, you're yeah. hitting well. You you're I think you're leading the postseason in home runs or yeah. tied for the lead. What's what's going yeah. what? What could possibly be bothering you? Your defense is better. I, yeah. so I don't know. You're getting and, further than you ever have. Yeah. And he's not the answering these questions. You know, he's just kind of doing those um I'm not Johnny Hustle comments, yeah. and that's not helping either. Yeah. So that was certainly something that was fascinating. Yep. Uh Something that will probably not endear him. The best news is, I think this series is tied 2-2. Yeah. One more game in L.A. They go back to Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, which means he's probably not going to get a great reception. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, that will be fun. Uh, and I think, and I want to hear from people as well in terms of comments, would you still want Manny at this point? Uh, you know, obviously he's, his talent is... F- uh, otherworldly it is phenomenal and he when he's at his best he's one of the best in the game but would stuff like this frustrate you to the point where you wouldn't want him on your team anymore especially for hundreds of millions of dollars so i want to hear from baltimore fans who have watched this guy for years let us know at bobby underscore blanco on twitter at paul mancano on twitter and of course you yeah. can reach at mass and orioles across all our social media platforms and let us know in the comments below like subscribe rate review the Mass and All Access Podcast, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and all that jazz. Thank you for saying those, Bobby, because I could not. I took the mantle from you, Paul. <laughs> so let us know and like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thanks for tuning in. He's Bobby Blanco. I'm Paul Mancano. It's the Mass and All Access Podcast. Mass and All Access.